Good morning, Trailview Church. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is coming out of Acts 3, 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of, the, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all who heard it heard of it, the young man rose and wrapped him up. Turn two pages. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. You may help. Thanks, Evan. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Acts chapter 3. It will be up on the screen. Um, we are going to go through Acts 3 and 4. We're not going to read every single verse in there because of time, but we're going to walk through a large chunk of it. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you are new here, maybe you've been here multiple times or this is your first time here, uh, we'd love to connect with you. So if you wouldn't mind at some point during uh, our gathering filling out this connect card, you can do a few things with it. You can drop it in the box in the back on your way out. You can give it to Pastor Brandon or I. I typically linger by the group's wall back there afterwards um, or across the hall at the Connect Center. We'll take it from you. Or you can do it digitally with this QR code. Uh, simply, we would like to connect with you and, uh, and get to know you a little bit more, help you take any steps that might be there uh, for you to get involved more at Trailview Church, answer any questions you may have about us as a church. You can also fill out the prayer card on the back of that, and we'll love, we would love to pray for you. We specifically do this every single week as pastors of Trailview Church. Anything that's filled out on the back of these interned in, we gather together and we pray for them each week. So if, you, if that's you, we would encourage you to do so. There's also some other decisions you can make, um, not really decisions, but steps you can take uh, along the way. Specifically, I would encourage you, if you are interested in membership at Trailview Church, this next Sunday we receive new members in our Sunday evening family member gathering. So we need to do membership interviews in order for us to receive new members. Um, and so if that's you, this week uh, I need to do a membership interview with you or your spouse if the two of you are both becoming members, or if you're single, just you. Um, and so you can check that box, you can come find me afterwards, or if you're interested in baptism, May 23rd is our next baptism Sunday. We have three people getting baptized, or four people getting baptized on May 23rd. It's a super exciting Sunday. I want to encourage you to, if you've put your faith in Jesus and need to follow him in baptism, believer's baptism, after you put your faith in Jesus, uh, then, then let us know. We'd love to walk with you through that here at Trailview Church. So that's, that's the logistical thing. So I want to encourage you guys um, to follow along with us in your, in your Bible. Take some notes if you want to along the way. 
Um, and, and today we're specifically looking at this. We've been walking through, we're starting a journey through the book of Acts and looking at how God moves his people. He's called them to make disciples. He's empowered them with the Holy Spirit to move on mission to make disciples. That everything in my life as a Christian, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, should be in line with and purposefully directed towards that mission and goal making disciples of Jesus. Uh, and, and we're going to realize this this morning. Every one of us feels this in a variety of lives, in a variety of spaces in life, is this true point, that, that moving towards others to make disciples requires boldness. It requires boldness. But here's the deal. This is the main point of this morning. God gives boldness to his disciples to go and make disciples to go on mission and move towards others to make disciples. He's called us to do it. He has empowered us to do it. And he gives us the boldness that we need to do that. And I don't know about you. You may, let me kind of connect the dots here. Every one of us throughout all of our life have been faced with moments that required boldness. As a kid, I loved doing extreme sports. Now, everything from like inline skating, like rollerblading, to skateboarding, to riding bikes and jumping them. And we lived in a new neighborhood, and so we stole all of the scrap wood from the neighborhood, and we built ramps in our driveways and in the street. And that's what we did. We built giant tree houses. We did, that's what we did. And every single one of those moments before an extreme sport um, required a level of boldness for me to make that jump. It did, every single time. Maybe you're not the extreme sport kind of person or a sports person in general. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. Um, there was something in my life growing up that was even harder than every single one of those ramps that I was going to jump and every single one of those moments that I was faced where it required boldness. And it was this, reading in front of my classmates. Like reading in the classroom required a level of boldness for me that... I mean, like sweats, waiting in anticipation that this teacher might call on me. Reading ahead so that I knew what I was going to have to read if they called on me. Because I couldn't read well. And so this, it required this boldness inside of me in order to do the simple act of reading in front of my classmates. Maybe for you, you can think of a moment in time where you had to stand up for something that was right. Maybe uh, something at work, there was something at work where there was some just like shady stuff going on and you had to stand up for your boss or in front of your boss or in front of your co-workers and defend what was right and that required boldness because there was risk in front of it, potential impact on the backside of it. Maybe for you, uh, it's public speaking, it's speaking in front of other people. The, the idea of somebody asking you to make some form of a presentation is just like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'll stand in the back and I'll hide behind a curtain and I'll push all buttons or whatever, but don't ask me to stand up and speak in front of people. Maybe it's, it's singing. Like imagine somebody was like, hey, we want you to sing a solo. Like what rises up in you in that moment? Some of us, it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't want me to sing a solo. <laughs> and not just because I don't want to, but because you don't actually want me to. We'll find that out pretty shortly. But every single one of us throughout our entire lives have been faced with moments that require boldness. They require a level of courage in the face of our own inadequacies to step up to the plate and to do that thing whatever it may be. 
And God has called us to do something massive, an eternally significant thing called making disciples across our streets and across the world. And in order for us to do that, even in the small steps it takes on a daily basis, it requires boldness. It requires courage and confidence in the face of our own inadequacies. But God hasn't left us to figure out and scrounge up whatever boldness we might find. It's not like uh, whenever you've you're got a thing you have to do, you have to give a speech or you have to do some trick or you have to like stand up or you have to stand up, whatever it may be that requires boldness. Uh, this isn't something that like preparing ourselves will just magically give us the courage and confidence to do it. It doesn't matter how much you prepare, it requires boldness. It doesn't matter how much education you have in regards to the Bible, it requires boldness. It requires confidence and conviction in order to live and to move towards and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, as we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to see a really beautiful story where the Holy Spirit met the disciples of Jesus as they were going and gave them boldness to do what He's called them to do, to make disciples. And it's going to walk through in this way. The power of God, if you're a note-taker person, the power of God to proclaim the gospel and prayer for boldness. So power, proclaim, and prayer. That's the, the outline how we're going to follow through this. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, the story unfolds like this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So it's, this is 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Jews go to the temple to pray if they live in Jerusalem at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And they're going and they're doing it. And a, a man lame from birth, couldn't walk, was being carried and was laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms or like charity is what he's asking for, for those who are entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, praising God. And all people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And there were filled, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And you see, we in this passage, as it begins to unfold this two-chapter-long story of what the disciples do and how the Lord works, we see God move powerfully. We see the power of God move in a miraculous way, like an actual miracle, physical miracle takes place. Now we know this actually takes place because this is like the book of Acts was circulated around the world. It was circulated around Israel, around Jerusalem, around all that area. And there's thousands, we'll find out, thousands of people see this happen. And it's not just like the everyday average people see this happen, but the people who are in charge of the Jerusalem-Judea temple area 
know that this happened and did something about it. That there's historical record to show that this is a genuine, true act of God to bring this lame, crippled man from his birth, never walked before in his life, into perfect health and jumping and leaping. That a miracle happens. The power of God happens and moves through the disciples of Jesus. That this guy who every single day is carried by friends or family to lay at the gate and ask for money is made well. That the power of God goes out. And I want to unpack this for a bit. We looked at a few weeks ago that the, the Great Commission says to go therefore and make disciples. And we talked about going, that it's at ongoing movement throughout all of our lives is where God intends on us to live as missionaries in every area of life. In every area of life. And this is a, an everyday moment. That the disciples would go and do this every day. That, that Peter and John weren't like, okay, where can we go? And what's our plan? And what's our strategy? And like, like how can we kind of put together this like system and plan? Like, where are a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus? All that's good. And it takes a lot of, like, we should do some of that. We should definitely do some of that. But these guys are just doing what they do every day. They're going to the temple to pray. And there's thousands of people there. It's not abnormal to see people going every day to the temple. So as they are going in this everyday or ordinary moment, these are also everyday and ordinary men. So we have the, this thing that happens. Oftentimes we romanticize the disciples. We romanticize them in this way of we just like, man, these are like superhuman people. Like, like the, the 11 guys who walked with Jesus, the Apostle Paul, like all these guys, they're like legendary people. Well, they are legendary. I mean, legendary in the sense that it's true and not some like fake legends. But, but they're like historically significant. But here's the deal. They're everyday average ordinary men doing everyday average ordinary things. They wake up. And they go to, go to the temple to pray in the afternoon and in the morning and in the evening. They're everyday men, ordinary moments, just like you and I face every single day. See, we may not walk to the temple to pray at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but we go to the grocery store. We go to work. We sit down to eat. We encounter people throughout our days. There are people that come up to us or that the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, brings up to us in our minds every single day. You have meetings with people every day. There are everyday moments like this in all of our lives. In all of our lives. And you and I are ordinary men and women. We are. We're, we're everyday average, sorry, um, if that's kind of a shot for you. Uh, we're everyday average normal people. But this isn't an ordinary everyday moment. This is an extraordinary moment 
And these men, although they're ordinary men, have an extraordinary faith. You see, God does something extraordinary in this everyday moment. That God literally heals a, a, a crippled man in this moment. As these ordinary guys are going into temple. That this, this, these guys don't have superpowers. They have extraordinary faith that God can do amazing things. And so they carry themselves with an expectation that God is at work in millions of ways to accomplish His will every single day. In every step that they took. In every person they would encounter. In an everyday moment could be an extraordinary moment. That ordinary men and women could have extraordinary faith and see the Lord do miraculous things. And it happened. And they carried themselves with this expectation that they would happen. With this faith that it was going to happen. And you might be like, well... I have never seen this kind of miracle, Derek. Okay, cool, but l- let, me see, let me slow down. Not every miracle that God does happens external. I-, I-, I would say, and I think Jesus teaches on this, the more difficult miracle is the work of God in a person's heart, not their body. The more miraculous thing is God breaking the hard soil of unbelief in your neighbor or friend or yourself and softening you to the mercy and compassion and grace of Jesus so that you would put your faith in Him. More significant miracle. Harder miracle. Jesus actually does this. Whenever He heals the like, lame guy that comes down from the roof, what does He say? Your sins are forgiven. What Jesus is teaching there is like, it's not hard to heal the guy. It's a greater thing to forgive his sin. See, every single day we encounter everyday moments, ordinary men and women, where God is at work in millions of ways to accomplish his will and do miracles in people's hearts. Powerful moves of God inside men and women's hearts and souls. How does this happen? Well, as they're going, what do they do? They see this man. Peter turns his gaze towards this guy. They see him. They love him and have compassion for him, and they move towards him, trusting the Holy Spirit to work, and they, like, God heals this guy by the power of Jesus in that moment. They see him, they love him, they move towards him in faith that God will work. Let me tell you a story about a member of this church that happened about a month ago. Uh, they, they're, they're a family in our church that have gotten to know and known their neighbor for the last year and a half, gotten to know him really well. Um, and had him over for dinner and all these kinds of scenarios and situations, like talked to him in the front yard, um, play video games with him, this kind of thing. Lots of, lots of time, lots of connection. 
And over the year and a half of living next to this guy and developing this relationship, one day his life just seems to be unraveling in just like despair. Like he's faced with this situation that is just literally uh, brought him to brokenness and tears. This business he just started with lots of hope and anticipation and excitement about just seems to have fallen apart in one conversation. That somebody had promised to help him front the money to get this business going that was already profitable. And then later on, they kind of backdoor added a condition. Hey, give me 25% of everything you make. He's just like, what? No, I can't do that. Business life just kind of crashed down in the moment. So in his despair in that moment, he goes to somebody who has shown faithfully and consistently that they love him. And so he goes across the yard and knocks on the door of this family that are members of Trailview Church. And he's like, man, like, this is going, going on. He unpacks it. And he's frustrated, but he's also like just distraught and heartbroken about this whole thing. And what does that church member do? They just listen. They listen, and they listen carefully and intently to what's going on in this man's heart and in his life. They see him, and they have love and compassion and care for him. And then the conversation ends. He goes across back to his house, um, and the church member and his wife, they, they sit down and they're like, hey, what should we do? Well, let's pray about it for a minute. So they stopped for a minute and they prayed about it. And the Lord had recently blessed them with a lot of just excess resources, money. And they said, you know what? Why don't we give it to him? And so they go back across the, street, or across the yard, knock on the door. Said, hey, can we talk for a minute? It's like, yeah, sure, what's up? Said, hey, so we've been praying about it and thinking about it for the last five, ten minutes. <laughs> And we want to give you all of the money necessary to buy this big trailer that you need in order to do the work that you have just started doing. No strings attached. You don't have to pay us back. We don't want anything for it. We just want to give it to you. And what happens? He breaks down in tears. Just overwhelmed with like love at the generosity of his neighbors to see him in need and do something about it. He's like, literally, he's like, I don't understand why you would do this. He's like, well, because Jesus has been generous to me. So I'm generous with you. Because Jesus has loved me, he cares about me, and I love you, and I care about you. So I'm going to do something about it. And had, had they just been like, hey, neighbor looks a little off today. Let's stay out of the yard. <laughs> what would happen? The conversation that ensued where they, on another occasion, were able to unpack the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ to their neighbor would not have happened. Had they, had, had they not seen, had love and compassion to move towards and listen and then been obedient to what the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. See, this whole story begins with this miracle. 
this act of the power of God to bring somebody from crippled to whole isn't just so this guy could walk. Just like that family, the, the, the people that I just told you. And that God didn't give them those extra resources so that they could just like, you know, help a guy out. It had a greater intended significant purpose. That they would be able to proclaim the truth of the gospel to this guy. And so what happens in this story is this miraculous move of the power of God. But that power of God flowing through the people of God, through these disciples, through that family that I just unpacked for you or showed you, to see, to love and have compassion and to move towards them, trusting that, hey, we're going to give these thousands of dollars to this person and God, now we need you to provide for our family. That boldness to do such thing and risk and hope and prayer that the Lord would be faithful to His promise to provide. Like that moment serves a greater purpose. Just like this miracle doesn't end here with a crowd amazed and wonder. It goes on from there and moves to to proclaiming the gospel. That, That God moves powerfully through His people for the intended purpose to provide moments and opportunities for His people to proclaim the truth of the gospel with love and compassion in a powerful way so that people would come to faith in Jesus. This is our second point. The the power of God moves and is active in our lives so that we would proclaim the gospel. You see, this crowd is astonished. They're amazed at what they've just seen. And God does this miracle to bring this astonishment like the family I just told you about. What was the reaction of the neighbor? Astonishment and awe. Like, this makes no sense. Like, maybe you are like, miracles don't make sense. But all of that is God at work so that the gospel would be proclaimed. And here's how it unfolds. Look with me in verse 11. Well, he, meaning the lame guy, who's not lame anymore, clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. That's the third time it said that. Ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, meaning Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. See, God had an intended purpose for this miracle. And it was to bring astonishment to this crowd of people to create a moment in history where they may proclaim the truth of the gospel to this crowd. So this massive crowd begins to run up and be like, oh my goodness, look what happened, this is crazy, check this out. 
We know that guy. We see him every morning and every afternoon. And maybe I've given him something, maybe I've not. But every single day I see this guy. And now I see him and he looks totally different. He's probably not sad and frowning and smiling anymore. He's probably jumping and excited and, and smiling from ear to ear because of this thing that has been done for him. He's literally leaping and running and clinging to Peter and John. And what does Peter do? Peter saw it. He didn't see the miracle. He saw what God was doing in this moment. He had eyes to see that this miracle took place so that God could gather this crowd of people together so he could proclaim the truth of the gospel to them. The same way the tongues of fire come down in Acts chapter 2 and all of the people from all over the world gather together. Why does that happen? To fill the disciples with the Holy Spirit, to empower them to make disciples, and to accomplish the whole purpose, to make disciples of all nations. This miracle takes place and Peter sees why. Peter sees why this everyday moment in this ordinary people with this turned into by the power of God, an extraordinary moment with men of extraordinary faith becomes this moment. Why? So that he could address these people. And when he addresses these people, what does he do? He unpacks for them the gospel. He specifically unpacks that it's not by your religious devotion that you are saved. That you can't go to church enough or come to temple and pray enough. You can't like, give enough of your tithes and mint and whatever. You can't do enough of that stuff in order for God to save you. That it's all pointing towards Jesus. And he does this in his context. What does Peter do? He's talking to a whole bunch of Jews. They're actually at the Jewish temple. So he's, he's talking to them. He knows who they are. He is one of them. And he starts with, the people they care most about in their entire religion or faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of the other fathers, which is pretty much everybody else. Lord David in there. And then it ends with Jesus. So he begins to unpack for them that everything that they've known and seen leads up to Jesus. It's all pointed towards Jesus. That the brokenness that they experience is healed by Jesus. That the disorder and the, the, the just sin that plays out in their lives can only be made right by Jesus. And he doesn't only say this, he says this directly to the context and the people that he's talking to. He says, you people, literally, are responsible for the death of Jesus. You could have let him go free, but you didn't. Pilate wanted to let him go. You said, no, we don't want you to. Kill him. You rejected and denied the one your entire people have been waiting for forever. You rejected and denied him. This powerful statement you killed the author of life. The one who had the ability to create life in all the brokenness you experience, you killed him. It's by this person, by this name, Jesus, this guy's walking. 
And you see, there could have been a moment in this time where Peter could have been like, yeah, we're pretty awesome, right? (laughs) He could have been like, yeah, yeah, we did that. (laughs) You guys should all follow us. Give us the stuff you were going to give him. (laughs) He could have really turned this easily in towards himself. But he doesn't. He actually says, why are you staring at me? Why are you looking at us like we did this in our own power or because of our piety, our religion? This is the name and the power of Jesus at work. That he unpacks for this crowd who Jesus is. Their guilt and responsibility for his death, their sin, directly against him. But he doesn't stop there. In verses 17 through 26, he says this. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. You didn't realize what you were doing when you killed Jesus. But what God foretold by the mouth of all of the prophets, the entire Old Testament, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19, listen to this. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. He finishes that little moment there. Verse 26, it says, God has raised him up, his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone away, every one of you from your wickedness. That Peter specifically and directly engages these people who are amazed and astonished by the power of God with the truth of the gospel. That they are guilty of sin. And that God knew they were guilty of sin. God actually saw their sin before the foundations of the world and meant and went and did something about it. Sent Jesus to take their sin upon himself and to be nailed to the cross to die the death that sin requires. And God raised him from the dead to give eternal life to all who would believe. To to repent so your sins may be blotted out. Turn from this wickedness you've done. Because God in his grace and kindness is ready to forgive you. So repent and believe. What Peter's unpacking for this crowd is this truth. Salvation, deliverance from sin, its judgment, the brokenness that we experience from it every single day of our lives only comes by faith in Jesus. And he speaks this directly into his context. What does it require for somebody to proclaim the gospel? It requires boldness. It requires boldness. It specifically requires boldness because Peter stands up in front of a crowd and says, you are responsible for the death of God's own son. You killed him. It also requires Peter to know who he's talking to and to be able to speak the gospel powerfully 
truthfully and in context to who he's talking to. The family that I just shared with you, the story of how they just had this moment to just care for their neighbor and preach the gospel to them, what did it start with? It started with listening. It started with listening to what's going on in their life. That's how we gain an understanding of context, by listening. And as we listen, we hear echoes of the brokenness and sin in their marriage, in their conflict, in their family, in their addictions, in discomfort and pain from sin or from work, from, from the cheating, their disorder, or all the things that they've experienced in life, from, from just hurt from other people. As we listen, we hear the impact that sin has made on their life. Sin they've done and sin that's been done. And in that moment, we're ushered into an a extraordinary moment to proclaim the gospel. The ointment and the balm that soothes the brokenness of sin directly where it needs to be applied most. You see, in our culture, in our context, we feel sin. We see sin. It impacts our every single day. And we cover it up. Our culture covers it up and hides it. We try to cover our pain and brokenness. We try to put on masks and smiles and pretty faces and our social media posts and all, all the things that are going on. Uh, we try to cover it up with social media, with material possessions, with addictions. We're trying to mask and hide the brokenness that, are, that we feel. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, and you do that every single day. Why? Because sin stinks. And we don't want to sin. We don't want to feel it. We might want to sin, but we don't want to feel the effects of it, the death that it produces. Some, they, they don't cover it up. They try to solve it through psychology, through medication, self-help. They try to provide answers that might enable you to live with the things that have happened to you in a little bit better way than you currently are. Try to solve the problem. Some people, faced with the, the effects of sin and the need for something to happen, give in to it. They're like, you know what? This is the way it is. I'm just going to embrace it. Some people move into religion. They're like, you know what? I'm going to make up for all that stuff and start doing all these things. Try to provide my own salvation. Maybe it's, it's, oh, well, what's the next thing that'll make me feel better? And try to cover it up. That every one of your neighbors, every one of your coworkers, every one of your friends, and you here today are faced with this reality. That sin has affected you. Sin you've done and sin that has been done to you. And you need deliverance and salvation from it. Something should and needs to be done about it. God has come and done something about it. So you don't need to go try to fix it or cover it up or do some stuff to make up for it, be religious or whatever. Acknowledge it, bring it before the Lord, and ask Him to heal your heart and bring salvation. See, when we move towards others on mission to proclaim the gospel, we listen, we gaze and see the scenario and situation of that person. We listen, we gain context and understanding of their particular way they feel sin, and then we're ushered into a moment where we can proclaim the power of God for salvation from their sin. That forgiveness from the sin and the shame and the guilt that you feel for your past can be had. 
all simply by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God has come to bring freedom from sin and death, forgiveness of sin, mercy and grace. And He sent us to go into our world, our neighborhood, our, our co-workers, our friends, our, our classmates, whoever it is, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That by, by faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven. What happens when Peter and John do this? What happens when Peter boldly sees this moment being done so that he can proclaim the gospel and he stands up and he proclaims it? Verses four, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 say this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So FYI, it's not just like church guys in suits. We're going to talk like soldiers. That's who just came up. The priest and their soldiers just came up. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. Verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. What happens when God moves powerfully through His people and they proclaim the truth of the gospel in those moments? People are saved. Like 2,000 more people in this moment. Like chapter 2, we see 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. It's chapter 4 and now there's 5,000 Christians. Why? Because Peter and John boldly proclaimed the gospel to this crowd of people. Everybody didn't believe, but a lot of people did. They stood also before that council who arrested them the next day and boldly proclaimed the gospel again. They said, if you're curious as to how this guy became like from crippled to whole, it's by the name and the power of Jesus. And among him and him alone can you be saved. They preached this to the guys who arrested them. And they came back and they were like, hey, uh, no more talking about this. <laughs> Y'all quit talking about this. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And what's Peter and John's response? Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, um, you must be the judge. For we cannot help but speak of what we have heard and seen. See, what happens as a result of this everyday moment with these ordinary men when the power of God moves and makes it an extraordinary moment with extraordinary faith? Thousands of people believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what does the church do? What should we do? The same thing that the church does. Peter and John are let go. They're set free with like kind of like this, like, eh, stop it kind of moment. And they go back to the church. And when they go back to the church, this is what happens in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, the crowd, the church, they lifted their voices together to God and said, 
sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So why this is like this communal prayer moment. They're saying, God, you sovereignly have done all of the things necessary to bring Jesus, to, for him to die and for him to rise from the dead. This was your sovereign hand at work. Verse 29, here's their request. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue speaking your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What happens in the church when God moves powerfully and the gospel is powerfully proclaimed? The people pray for more boldness. This is the third thing. Pray for boldness. Boldness comes from that place where you feel completely inadequate, like you don't have what it takes We've all felt that. I unpacked it at the very beginning. It's this, the ability and the confidence and the courage to take the risk step. There are countless moments and scenarios in our lives every single day, everyday moments when you and every ordinary, everyday ordinary man or woman encounter people who need Jesus. And you are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to move towards them and see them, care about them, and proclaim the truth of the gospel to them with boldness. But that boldness does not come from within you. It comes from God. So these people hear and they worship and they pray for boldness. And they pray that God would embolden them to have more courage to obey His command. To have more confidence to accomplish what God had called them to accomplish. To trust the ability of the Holy Spirit at work in them. They prayed for boldness. This should be a prayer that we echo as a people. Trust in the sovereignty of God. His command. Like the God of the universe has told you to go do this. And He hasn't left you out to dry to do it on your own. But He'll be with you. Joshua 1.9 is one of my favorite verses. Have I not commanded you to go make disciples? It doesn't say that in Joshua 1.9. <laughs> it says go kill a bunch of people. But nonetheless, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That sounds a lot like the end of Jesus' great commission. So what do we do? We move towards other people to make disciples. We move on mission towards other people to make disciples. So ask, who is that one person or that one family that the Lord is specifically leading you towards to make disciples? 
I want to encourage you to do three things. One, to begin daily to pray for boldness like the church in Acts did. To look that as you go through everyday moments, to look with eyes uh, that the Lord might be doing extraordinary things. And to trust and have faith, extraordinary faith, that the Holy Spirit is at work in you every single day. Everywhere you go. Maybe you're here today and you haven't actually believed in Jesus. You haven't put your faith in Him. You feel the weight and the impact of sin. I want you to hear what I said earlier today. The only way that you will be delivered, freed from the weight of sin, it's the guilt from sin, the, the wrath towards sin, the brokenness that sin lives in your life, is by repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. So I encourage you to confess your sin to the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead and be forgiven and saved today. To not trust in yourself and to stop covering up all the things or trying to make it look better or sound better or fix it yourself and just come humbly repenting to Jesus and ask Him to save you today. And Pastor Brandon will be back here as we sing and I'll be back here. If you need to put your faith in Jesus, do it now or come back and share with us if you have or come back there and we'll gladly walk with you through that. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe it's, it's time you need to sit and be like, God, I don't trust that you're with me. I don't trust that the Holy Spirit's going to work in that moment. And so I'm afraid. So God, give me boldness and trust in your sovereignty. We're going to sing. And I want you to I encourage you as we sing to respond. I encourage you to stand and like this church does, praise God for his faithfulness to save. Maybe you need to sit. If you need to sit, sit. If you need to stand, stand. We're going to stand and sing. Whatever posture you need to take, take that posture. If you need to talk, I'll be over here. Pastor Brandon will be over there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you still move powerfully through your people. That you still work miracles every single day. So God, we ask now that you would work miracles, that you would bring salvation, faith in Jesus, that you would give boldness to move towards our neighbors and coworkers and friends, that you would give us confidence in your ability to work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.